1: there and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true, stories. I'm Rebecca, one of your hosts today.
2: Hey everyone, my name is Sadie and I'm so excited to get into these stories.
3: And I'm Riley. Thank you for joining us on this third episode of the fourth season entitled Blindsided.
2: I'm
4: Sarah, also one of your hosts. In this episode, two young authors find themselves blindsided, for
5: good or for bad, maybe by love. And I'm Melissa. Let's get into these stories.
3: This piece is by an author who's choosing to remain anonymous.
4: Anonymous is a passionate writer who enjoys writing about her unusual life. As a survivor of abuse, her dream is to work with victimized children. She hopes spreading her story will touch others and bring hope. Her message is to first forgive yourself, and then you will be able to forgive others.
5: A warning that this story touches on very sensitive topics that may be difficult to hear, listener discretion is advised.
6: Thank you, Melissa. Let's take a listen to Anonymous' piece. Rule number one, you must not be a temptation. No skin must ever show aside from your face, upper neck, and hands. Rule number two, know your place. You are to serve as wife and mother under your husband. He is master of the house. Rule number three, ignorance is purity. Even just the knowledge of sex defiles you. While these rules are not universal, this was the universe I was groomed for. The first time I had ever expressed my views on homosexuality, I was 13. It was a humid spring Saturday, and the sweet smell of wet soil and young grass hung heady in the air. My cousin Razel, my best friend Hannah and I, had gone up to the park like we did every Saturday to giggle and gawk at the boys coming back from synagogue. We never spoke to them. That was forbidden. That did not stop us from babbling behind our tree about who we thought was the cutest. Looking to cause a stir, Razel asked if we knew what lesbians were. After the initial shock of hearing someone utter such a forbidden word, I rushed to assert my opinion on the matter. I emphatically proclaimed my revulsion at such abominable behavior. A woman who was attracted to another woman? I felt myself heat with sanctimonious fury. Then I looked over at Hana, ebony hair cascading down to her waist, warm skin the color of coffee. Leia? My stomach flip-flopped the way it always did when she said my name, or braided my hair, or any of the hundred little things that brought her skin to make contact oh. In that moment, my world shattered and glued itself back together into something I didn't recognize. After the initial realization shredded the fabric of my known universe, I buried it. From everyone, but mostly from myself. I couldn't look in the mirror. Those familiar blue eyes bore back at me, whispering things I wasn't ready to hear. I tried to hide from those eyes. I hid behind alcohol, behind my own blood, and finally behind 18,000 milligrams of Tylenol. According to the CDC, which quotes the 2015 YRBS, nearly one-third, 29%, of LGB youth had attempted suicide at least once in the prior year. Dying is harder than it appears. According to the Harvard TH Chan, only 1.5% of suicide attempts by poison are successful. I lived. When hiding proved ineffective, I ran. I ran fast and hard. I ran headlong into her. Her name was Shoshana. I was 17 now. I had known her since the fourth grade. I adored her. I hated her. I came to fear her for what she represented. Everything I wanted. Everything that was wrong. Then once more, my world shattered. We stood outside my house. It was mid-July. The sky was already that dark purple that envelops you in its electric embrace. Her black eyes swallowed me as she shot her accusations. What's wrong with you? I struggled to understand what was happening, The blood in my veins turned to poison that coursed to my heart. My mouth wouldn't defend me. I wanted to scream at her, beg her. I said nothing. She stalked off, the door slamming in my face behind her. I sank to the ground, letting the still hot pavement bore holes into my knees. It was over. I stayed in my bed, not wanting to live. I didn't care. Not anymore. I did care. I cared so much. That was the problem. It had been days of praying to die and cursing God when I heard that knock that glued everything back together. She stalked into my bedroom. I blinked, gaping in disbelief at her small frame in front of me. Those black eyes drilled holes, pinning me to my sheets. I was tired. I was done. I waited for her to tell me that I was a freak. I closed my eyes so I wouldn't have to see those words forming on her pink lips. The words that would tear apart the lie was grasping so tightly. So, she started... Her voice tremored. I peeked my eyes open to see her petite form shaking. Her black eyes glimmered with crystal tears that were demanding to be set free. Her words tumbled out in a rush, tripping over each other in their bid for freedom. They fell out so fast it was like they wouldn't exist if they broke the sound barrier. The individual words didn't matter. I had stopped listening anyway after she said, I like you. Three dumb words that we had both said a thousand times, but they meant something else entirely. They sucked all the oxygen out of my lungs. I found myself struggling to breathe. That feeling was not foreign. She made it frequently hard to breathe. I didn't know I was crying till she brushed away a tear and held it glistening on her fingertip. The first time I held her, I knew I couldn't hide ever again. I had given a million hugs, but I had never held anyone. It made my heart ache to have her so close to mine. We were 18 now. I loved her. The words fell out when I just couldn't keep them back anymore. She told her parents that she loved a woman. They told her to leave. She did. I stayed. I couldn't leave. I looked at my father, a man who was supposed to love me but had done nothing but love me in ways a father never should. I looked at my mother, the woman who was supposed to protect me but instead resented me for taking her husband away from her. I looked at my brother, Yeshua, the boy who had tried to kill me. I looked at my brother Yaakov, the boy who was just there. I couldn't leave them. I couldn't hurt them. I couldn't disappoint them. I said goodbye to someone I loved more than I loved myself. She was strong. She deserved someone who could be strong for her. That could never be me. I let her go. I let go of our plans to move to Maine, to live in a cabin by a lake, to have a daughter and two dogs. I said goodbye. I forced on a smile when I danced at Hannah's wedding the one who feared the word lesbian. She was 18, a child, and within a year would be the mother to her own child. I looked at the approval in my mother's eyes. I looked at the love in my father's eyes. Soon that would be me, married to a man, a man I did not want to marry. My smile faded to a pained grimace. I danced faster, trying to let the rushing air dry the tears that were demanding to be set free. (sighs) Uh that was crazy yeah
7: it's so it's so eerie it's it's just a lot a lot Mm -hmm. uh. thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story
6: thank you for having
7: me um really quickly we want to say that if you or anyone you know is having suicidal thoughts or anything of that sort we want you to know that there are resources available for you so the national suicide prevention hotline takes calls and texts 24 7 from everyone from anyone going through a difficult time and can be reached at 1-800-273-8255 and their website is also full of additional resources on how to help yourself and those around you and can be found at
2: www.sprc.org okay now moving on to our first question so this story is so short and fast-paced but so powerful It makes your heart beat so fast as you read it because there's almost a frantic search for hope throughout this piece. It's driven by all these almost. You say things like, I adored her. I hated her. I came to fear her for what she represented. Everything I wanted. Everything that was wrong. When talking about Shoshana. And when she asked you what was wrong, you said, my mouth wouldn't defend me. I wanted to scream at her. Beg her. I said nothing. And later, I didn't care. Not anymore. I did care. I cared so much. That was the problem. And finally, I had given a million hugs, but I had never held anyone. Now, can you tell us what feelings did you want to invoke through these small statements?
6: I think um, a lot of uncertainty. And um, you're constantly thinking about the next step and then deciding you don't want to do it and going back and forth. And it's just a lot of uncertainty and you're very unsure about yourself and you don't know if you want anyone else to know you don't know if you want to know so yeah. it's a lot of confusion yeah.
7: oh that's such an mm-hmm. interesting point of you don't know if you want to know yeah of like yeah because there is a lot of that in this where you're kind of
2: blocking yourself off as well yeah i mean the, the thing with the cabin by the lake and the daughter and the two dogs like that mm-hmm. oh that got me it's like no <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: go get that cabin, go get those dogs. <laughs> They're
7: easy to rent. <laughs> and this story is kind of really like a tale of intersectionality and it, like an intersectional identity and navigating it when all the sides of your surroundings are making things seemingly more and more difficult, like religion, womanhood, and sexual orientation. And briefly, you also mentioned some difficult truths about family. And there's a definite strain caused by so many factors. So can you elaborate on how often these kinds of strains are spoken about within things like your culture and how often your culture is discussed within your identity, um, etc.? Like, how often do these things intermingle?
6: How often do people in the community um, talk yeah. about it? yeah never about. <laughs> there is never any so. discussion and there's never any question and there's kind of this like at least where I grew up it wasn't true of all the orthodox Jewish communities but the one that I grew up in it was this kind of like this attitude of burying your hand head under the sand and the less you knew the more kind of pure you were and the more sheltered you were and being sheltered was like just that was the goal for all girls. It was to be sheltered from everything. The universe. We weren't. Oh, there were a lot of books we weren't allowed to read. Oh. Harry Potter wasn't allowed in my elementary school. They were oh. afraid you we were gonna all oh, become man. witches and wizards. Um, Nancy Drew wasn't allowed because she has a boyfriend. Yeah. So it's oh. just like this extreme, extremely sheltered environment where, wow. yeah, it was mm-hmm. very. That's interesting
2: because
7: I think of Nancy Drew and I don't even think about yeah. like having a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, think of, uh,
2: yeah, I read her when I was ten.
7: Mhm yeah. I think of like Nancy Drew as a detective and smart like girl who does a lot of things. I don't think of her as having a boyfriend, you know.
6: Yeah. So the more narrow your scope is, that kind of that's kind of idealized. And I know when you're ready to get married, the boys always look for the girls with the most kind of narrow scope who don't want to question anything and just want mm-hmm. to kind of go through it and are willing to follow their husbands. So they don't really, yeah. yeah
7: you're much older now than the events that took place in the story and i wanted to ask if you found some sort of peace within yourself right now
6: right now i'm very comfortable with who i am i managed to separate the parts of my religion and the parts of my family and the parts of my personal identity and kind of create something where i am comfortable with who i am right now um there were a lot of negative things that happened in my life growing up that would kind of make you want to look at religion as a whole and throw it completely out but there are definitely parts that I still connect with
2: yeah I mean with the whole religion thing I mean I I think I can kind of understand the whole like you grow up with this and it's like a foundation of your life and then something like this happens and I guess it would be easy to want to throw it all away but you grew up with it, it's a part of your life, and it's something that you want to find the good in it to keep it like i like my my family's pretty religious, and I grew up going to Sunday school every Sunday, and now that I'm an adult, I'm like a holiday Catholic. I only go on <laughs> Easter and Christmas, and that's it. but like my little brothers like they still they go to Sunday school every sunday and although I don't consider myself religious, I think I can appreciate. Um, the people who wanna keep that foundation and find the good in what the comfort that it gives them, so I think that's yeah, good for you. Thank
7: you. Can I ask um how some of the relationships that are discussed in this are now, so with Shoshana, it just kind of ends there, like does she like go away forever or?
6: So that's actually a really interesting story. Um, After we broke up, she was, at the time, she was living on her own. And within a few months after that, I think maybe two months, she moved back with her family, which was mm, wow. very, very weird. And yeah. her family was, her family hadn't known we were still dating. So they were, and she told them, and they were very angry with me. So I had to, like, kind of hide from them and, like, hide from the um, I could I couldn't go out to certain places because I would run into them, and they were very very upset. When actually, um, when we we had been dating for about nine months, and they knew at the time. In the beginning, they were pretty good with how they took it. I was very I was very surprised. But then they actually called me one night and asked to meet me oh. in a park at 3 a.m. Oh. Were they? Oh, I that's weird. That's shady. First <laughs> day. First thing, yeah. So first I answered the home phone and they wanted to speak to my parents. And no, no. I know. <laughs> so the, the only way that I could get them to compromise was if I met them at, in this park near my house at 3 a.m. So I go to meet them and they deliver me this very scary ultimatum of no speaking to her, no contact with her, no emails. We're in the same class, so this is very weird. Yeah. Yeah, and just no contact whatsoever ever again or else. So I was, I was kind of, I was kind of hurt by her that she went back and kind of told her parents what had happened and put me in this really uncomfortable position again. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I do forgive her and I understand that it was really hard for both of us. And I understand that she wanted to be with her family to have right. them support her through it. Whoa!
7: Wow! Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting how the story kind of like lips in that way where it was at first that she kind of took this risk and went out on a limb and kind of did like did she almost expect you to go with her
6: yeah she did Mm -hmm. it was um she was from the beginning we grew up in this community where marriage is the ultimate goal so from in the first few months of dating her she expected we were going to get married like a year later and so she definitely was and I tried to slow it down but it was really hard kind of mm-hmm. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. So definitely when she what well, definitely when I left she was very very hurt and yeah. very confused and yeah. yeah. So she felt like kind of like betrayed, I guess. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I did in a way betray her.
7: And then afterwards it's like she did betray you too. That's so interesting. Uh, <laughs> because like yeah, she obviously like told Like she didn't have to tell her parents that it was you. Mm -hmm. She could have said it's a random person over there but decided to say
6: you. Oh wow.
7: So do you guys talk about? Um,
6: we have kind of a we don't talk frequently, but we do talk sometimes and I know if I ever had a serious problem I could come to her and she knows she could come to me. So we have kind of smoothed it over. Yeah, Yeah. I still care about her. Oh, I'm glad you
2: guys are in that place, because it seems like in the story, at the time of your lives that you were each in, you both kind of helped each other with something Mm -hmm. new, unexplored, and despite what happened afterward on both of your parts, in that moment, you kind of were both there for each other, and I'm really glad that you guys are where you are now.
7: So, one last thing, and you might have felt like you answered it already, but
3: what would
2: you
7: like the listeners to take away from the story
6: well i think from a story like this people really want it to end with and then we ran away to maine and lived happily ever after <laughs> i wanted it <laughs> and here's my daughter <laughs> that's the ending you expect and that's the ending everybody wants to hear but i think um i think there's a um i think there's i don't think you need to feel the pressure to kind of create that happy ending um i think if we had tried there were a lot of differences between us that just because we were in that environment and there was so much pressure we ended up fitting together well in there i don't think that we would have had a good relationship outside so i think in the end um breaking up was the right thing to do and i think we're probably both better because of it now
2: yeah mm-hmm. Very thank you
7: for your time and having a interview with us so.
2: <laughs> thank you yeah thank you yeah. thank you so much
5: This story is by an author named Jackie Magno. Jacqueline Magno is a graduate student seeking her master's degree in industrial organizational psychology at Iona College. She's a graduate of John Jay College of Criminal Justice, class 2018, where she earned her BA in forensic psychology. Some recreational activities that she engages in during her free time include longboarding tennis, as well as visiting historic parks and gardens. Her future career plans include research with organizational psychology while specializing in human resource management. She plans to combine her leadership and decision making skills to further her career in helping companies create a productive work environment.
4: Let's take a listen to Jackie's story.
0: You should join a fraternity, so we can gonna be couple goals. I say to him. You are cute. What would be my brother name though? Propaganda! Props, 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 props. We look at each other's eyes and laugh that we just perfectly in sync. His light bright eyes get me lost every time I stare at them deeply as I'm doing right now. (sighs) How did I get so lucky? He's just so amazing. Raza and I have been together for two years. But ever since school started, it has been hard to see each other. My last class was canceled for today, so I went home early, and now we're here at Olive Garden. We've been best friends since we were 15. There was always this tension between him and I with hidden feelings throughout those years. We rarely argue or fight, which I love the most. I remember one time we were watching a video of some kid eating cereal while he was dropping me home, and I told him I wish I could have Fruity Pebbles. I walk inside to my house, and 20 minutes later, he tells me to open my door. I open the door, and on my steps is a box of Fruity Pebbles staring back at me. This wasn't the first time he just left something on my steps. When he has extra cash on him, he leaves a rose or a whole bouquet of flowers. I don't believe in marriage, but he's doing such an excellent job at changing my mind why are you so beautiful Rosal asks after he ordered pasta steak stuffed clams and mozzarella sticks for the table me what I'm flattered I say back oh shit don't look back damn so you'll never guess who's behind you fuck who is it Matt I haven't seen Matthew since like what three years ago What are the Aussies here eating food at the same time I'm with Razzo? This isn't a sign that this perfect night will be ruined. I can't see him from where I'm sitting, but I know he's coming towards our table when Razzo says, he's he's getting up now, get ready. Aw, aren't y'all so cute eating dinner, Matt says. He clenches his hand, creating a fist, and points it at me. I stare at him, I don't know what to do. I don't want to leave him hanging, so I fist bump him back. And look at you, Razzo. Still working out, I see. You're getting bigger. Rock solid. Anyways, bye. He walks away, and Razzo is annoyed by Matt's fake behavior. I can't believe he said it I can't believe he doesn't even want this. I'll fuck him up. <laughs> Please. I laugh at the situation. You're so pussy. Relax. However, to show I'm kidding, that he has nothing to worry about, I stop laughing and look at him seriously. Love you, I say. Love you too, he responds. I'm determined for us to have a good night. The food finally arrives. We eat, we laugh, and forget all about the night's bad omen. And as we're ready to go, I grab my wallet, but he looks at me with a confused stare. Baby, don't worry, I got it, he says. You sure? I can pay half. I'd rather not be broke because of me. Nah, it's okay. I've been picking up more shifts lately. Okay, but let me tip. I have 300 in cash. Oh, that's my debit card. And I don't know when it's coming in. So I took mad money out just in case. It was strange for me to have so much cash on me. We leave the restaurant, not a care in the world, and make plans to go back to my house. But first, Rosa wants to smoke. I've been trying to quit, I tell him. Besides, I have to work early in the morning. I've been thinking a lot about wanting more for my future, wanting to go to grad school, or wanting to get a full-time job and start supporting my mom financially. I graduated John Jay in spring 2018, which means one more semester to go. I'm in the process of applying to grad school, writing my personal statement, and asking professors for recommendation letters, which is intimidating as fuck. I want to get into Iona College or Brooklyn College for their industrial organizational psychology program, but I fear rejection, and I'm scared I won't get in. There's not much room for weed in there, at least not often. However, I don't care if Raza smokes, so I tell him it's okay. He can. He dressed up to the curb, and I zone out to pulse Malone. I pull down the mirror and see those ice-picked scars all over my cheek. Makeup is the best illusion to cover them up, but there they are staring back at me. I'm so happy Rosal thinks I'm beautiful anyway. How did I get so lucky? I think about it all the time. We're so, and I'm so ready for my future. I strike the mirror back into place when suddenly a bright-ass flash lighting dilates my pupils. Are those the cops? I say, the cops? Fucking great. And just like that, my heart begins to pound out my chest. No, like literally, I think I'm going to have a panic attack as I see them walking towards the car. Rosal does his best to hide the weed from their sight, but it's too late. So what are you guys doing other than grinding weed? One asks. Is this your car? What else do you guys have? I'm going to need both of your licenses. Mr. Rosso, have you ever been arrested before? What about you, Ms. Magno? Yes, sir, I have. Rosal confesses right away. DUI three years ago. I just finished everything. And you're smoking while being in the driver's seat? Kind of stupid, don't you think? I'm going to run this, and I'll be back. Hold tight. Fuck, bro. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? think we get getting a ticket? I try my best to remember everything I know about drug loss. I mean, it's under one ounce. We should be fine. It's just a ticket, right? The cop walks back, and I'm still shitting bricks, trying to keep my anxiety under control. I can't stop shaking. I begin to lose control of my breathing. Is that all you guys have, once again? No, officer. I have weed in my purse, I admit. Here you go. It's not a lot, but I decided it'd be better to be honest than to lie. Please step out the car. And you too, ma'am. Do you have any sharp objects that will puncture me in any way? No, officer. I'm not too fond of the feeling I have as he pats me down. He puts on these white gloves as if he's going to strip search me. He slowly pauses as he passes my chest and butt. This feels so weird. Why this grown man who looks like he can be my dad feeling me up and down? I give him everything I have already. I know it's so-called protocol, but still, why did he slow down around this area? I look at Rosalyn and he looks back. The look on his face shows me he wishes he could do anything to get me out of the situation. However, I'm more worried about him. He just got caught with weed while being in the driver's seat. This cop could be a dick and give him Another DUI, which would be the second one on his record. They could lock him up, and then he's really fucked. I saw him we're going to be (sighs) okay. Both cops walk back to the car and start searching the shit out of it. They open everything, even the peak Victoria's Secret bag Rosal got for me. Panties fly out the back onto the floor. Now they're really pissing me off. They're acting like we just got caught with fucking heroin. Is this necessary? Like, come on. I got work tomorrow. Just give me my ticket. We just gave them all the weed. Why are they dragging it? The cops open the glove compartment next, and I see him open something. I can't see, but I do understand his expression. Eyebrows up and eyes coming out his sockets. Are these shrooms? He asks. Well, that's a first. Shrooms? What? I I didn't know we had... I hear Raza say, oh shit, and I say, oh shit. Why were they, why did Raza have shrooms in the car? I told him so many times to never carry weed in his car. But shrooms? What the? The cop walks over and grabs both of my wrists and handcuffs me. He opens the police door and puts me in. I am in shock. Why am I being handcuffed? Okay, just relax. Roswell will explain everything. I'm going to be fine. The cops are still searching, and I see Roswell speaking to them. He's probably telling them to let me go, telling them I don't even know they were there, and that this is all a misunderstanding. The young cop with the rapist mustache walks over and asks us where I got the shrooms. Why is he even asking me? I tell him, I don't know. He slams the door on my face, and I sit there as they wrap everything up and put everything back in the car. He grabs my purse phone and hat they handcuffed ross and put him in the back with me they leave us alone for a few minutes bro why you have the shrooms there i hiss i've never been handcuffed before these are really uncomfortable man my arms are getting tingly and tired from being in this position i look outside the window as the cops get back in and drive off what's going to happen everything will be okay they probably just want to know where i got the weed and give me my ticket we arrive at the precinct, and once again, Dax ask me if I have anything on me. No, you fucking asshole, I don't. Ain't an excuse to pat me down, right? They put me in a small cell, and I wait anxiously. I wonder where Roz was being taken. What's going to happen to him? Please don't tell me he's being charged for DUI. Oh, man, his license going to be suspended for God knows how long. They open my cell and finally take the cuffs off. My arms come down, and right away, I feel the blood flow rapidly flush down to my hands. Great, I can go home now. They take me to a private room and ask me if I have any mental health problems or if I'm suicidal. Then they take me to another place and ask me to take certain things off. Shoelaces, earrings, the string from my hoodie, and my bracelet. They take a mugshot and drag my fingers through this crappy machine that fails to get my fingerprints. What is going on? Where is my ticket? I see an older guy come out and tell them. It was more than 25 milligrams. You're right, this is a fourth. 25 milligrams what? What the fuck is a fourth? A female cop comes and counts my money. She goes over and tells the other guy. She has 300 in cash too. The female cop comes back into the room and asks me to take out any important numbers from my phone to call and to tell whoever answers to get me on Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning? Today's Monday. Fuck you mean. Excuse me, am I being arrested? And if I am, for what? I don't know, sweetie. Ask the cops that booked you. I unlock my phone and stare at messages in disbelief. I click on mom, dad, and work. I call my dad. No luck. Call my mom. No luck either. What am I even going to say? Jesus. I attempt to call back my mom, and I'm praying she picks up. Hello? Hello? Mom? ¿Qué pasa? Okay, Mom, I know you're going to hate me after this, but please understand. I need you to be my reasonable brother and not go crazy. Silence on the other end. Mom, I'm locked up. They found shrooms in Roswell's car, as well as weed. I gave them everything. They think I'm drug dealing because I have so much cash on me because of the debit card thing. I need Dad to pick me up on Wednesday. Still silence. Come on, Mom, speak to me. Why, Jacqueline? Why? You're so fucking good. You're the golden child of this family. Come on, why now? I told you to stop hanging out with him. He's a bad influence. You're about to graduate. You got work tomorrow too? You're smarter than this. I can't. Speak to your dad because I can't. I didn't want to throw Rosso under the bus. So I was speaking low enough where only my mom would hear. She doesn't know that he's not a bad influence. That he never pressured me to smoke weed. She doesn't even realize that he's the one who's going to be the most in trouble. As soon as we get the strain out and he tells them why the drugs were there, that I'm not a dealer, that I didn't even know they were there, he is the one who will be in the most trouble. I'm just going to get a ticket, but Razo? He's screwed. Just thinking about what's going to happen to him brings tears to my eyes. I refuse to let these pigs see me cry, though. The female cop handcuffs me and escorts me to the cell, number 16. Should I get 16 tied on my arm now? I hear them escort Roswell to the same room I was in before. And even though I can't see his facial expressions, I can envision them when I close my eyes. Oh, he's stronger than I am. A juice and an egg sandwich are on top of a blue plastic type of mattress. There's a white blanket and a silver toilet close to where I lay my head. I look up and there's a camera. In front of me is the officer's room, and the TV is in my direction. I can slightly see it between the cracks of the bars. I sit down, and I hear the phone ring multiple times. I keep thinking the phone call is from the other cops telling them to release me. But no one ever comes. I predict around 1 a.m., and I'll leave Wednesday at 10 a.m. for court. If my calculations are right, that's 34 hours. 34 hours? I hope they don't come to my cell and find my lifeless body. Suicidal so thoughts come across my mind, but it gets sidetracked by the thoughts of Rosal. I hope he's okay. His parents are going to go off when they find out he's spending two nights in jail. His job, great, It goes his money. How is he going to pay his bills? He's losing two valuable shits, maybe even three depending on what time we get out on Wednesday. His DUI, oh man. I hope the judge doesn't violate him. I hope my baby's okay. The next morning, someone named Detective Lopez speaks to me. Do you know what you're being charged for? No. You're being charged with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the fourth degree. It is a class C felony. Felony? What? That's what he meant by four. A fucking felony? Are you serious? Bye-bye grad school. Bye-bye, any job ever. But wait. No, we'll get the strain now. We can't both be charged for this. None of this was mine. Are we both getting charged for this? How could they think it was mine when it was in Rosal's car? I guess they don't believe him. I can't understand this. They think it's both of ours? She explains if I have any information that could help my case. She asks what school I go to. I'm hesitant to even respond due to the irony. John Jay College of Criminal Justice, ma'am. She looks at me awkwardly. It's only due to my perfect record. The judge will probably go easy on me. As she takes me back to the cell, all I can think about is Roswell even more. I know the judge will be harsher on him. He doesn't have a clean record as I do. Spirits are going to hate me. I just know it. And now my mom hates him even more. He's a good guy. We were just in the wrong place in the wrong time. When the judge hears that I had no involvement with the drugs, it'll be all on him. But then what will happen? Will he go to jail? Well, no matter what happens, I'm going to be supportive. And we'll get through this together. (sighs) Get up. We're taking you down now, a blonde-haired female cop says. Thank God, finally I get to leave this place. I wonder if Ross is getting to leave now too. Probably not. Probably making me stay longer since the cops found the shrooms. I imagine him having to sleep here for even more nights than I have, and the thoughts of it makes me feel like shit. They cuff me with my cell neighbor. She looks younger than I am. She's wearing a very tight body outfit, emphasizing all her curves. She ties her long braids before she gets cuffed with me. They walk us down the ghost hallways and tell us to wait. I see a heavyset bald male officer come down with eight males. I try to look over to see if Raza was one of them, but the cop in front of me tells me to look forward. I see a black leather jacket, and my heart pounds faster. I know that's Raza for sure, even though I can't see his face. I just want to leap over and hug him. I miss him so much. They put my cell neighbor and me into another cell with three other women. From here, I can see the guys get into their cell. I scan my eyes but I still can't see him. I guess this means he's not getting out. I imagine him somewhere more permanent and wonder how long they can legally keep him. Jacqueline Magno, please put your hands behind your back. I get handcuffed once again. going to face the judge. The cop escorts me to the courtroom. It is so overcrowded, but I scan to find my parents. I see my lawyer, and then I see my dad, but not my mom. My dad's look is engraved into my brain forever. I can see he's trying so hard to hold his tears back. He looks so heartbroken. No parent wants to see their kid like this. As I move my eyes forward to the front, I see my two best friends. But wait, how do they know I'm here? I doubt my dad told him. Or maybe he did. Most of poor, I bet. Before the cops tells me to look for her again, my heart just drops. There he is, sitting, with everyone else in the general public, with everyone else without handcuffs on, just looking at me, Razo. He's not in a cell, not in prison, not in handcuffs. It seems he's totally free. What? It feels like a billion had just fallen on me and crushed every bone in my body. It all hits me at once, and the racing thoughts come faster than ever. It all makes sense now. I took the blame. No. He made me take the blame. He never corrected them when they thought the shrooms were mine, since they were on my side of the car. He left me. He never spoke up. He went home while I was here for 36 hours. I, I can't even focus when the judge ask me if I need a translator. I see the jobs live moving, but I can't hear anything. Why, Rosso, why? All that you know that I was working for, that I barely do this shit anymore, that I want better for my future for myself and my mom, that I'm working so hard to get into this master's program. My career, my life goals can end right here. He left me. I'm charged for a felony because of him. Why did he do this to me? I thought he loved me. Two years of the best relationship ever, gone. I stare at the judge and catch his last words. You have an hour to get from work or school to your house. Your curfew is at 6 p.m. You report to the Task substance abuse program, and your next court date is on January 4th. The cop takes the cuffs off and walks me outside the courtroom. I run and hug my best friends. I start to cry, and so do they. I'll tell them I have to go. I have to rush to class. I can't miss class. Can't miss... I don't even look at him as I run to my dad. I hug my dad and he tells me everything will be okay. As I leave with my dad, I tell Roz I need to speak with him later. That's all I say, no hug, no tears. Back at home, I shower and cradle myself into a ball. I cry hysterically. How could he do this to me? I repeat this about a thousand times. I hear my doorbell ring. How are you feeling? Rosal says. He has this look i never seen before. A glimpse of loss in his eyes. I look at the drops of sweat coming down his sides of his forehead, indicating he is nervous. Eh. Keep your voice down. My dad is sleeping. He'll be heartbroken knowing you are in the house. I honestly don't know what to say. Rosal says, shrugging. I take a deep breath as I prepare to answer. You don't have to say anything, I just know that this can't continue. I need time to reflect on everything, I need time for me. You know what you did, you saved your ass and left me hanging. I can't hold back the tears anymore. My breathing gets more massive and my voice gets a whimper. I can't stand looking at him in the eyes. It hurts so much having him in front of me. I tell him to leave my house. Rosal, take care. This felony hasn't just possibly cost me my career. It cost me a two-year relationship with my boyfriend and a ten-year relationship with my best friend.
2: Wow. Holy shit. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah
5: that was really amazing thank you yeah thank you so much for such an
3: intense piece wow (laughs) thank you for sharing that i mean yeah thank you so much for being here
0: yeah i appreciate it honestly
3: (laughs) (laughs) so in this piece you say he slowly pauses as he passes my chest and butt this feels so weird why is this grown-ass man who looks like he can be my dad feeling me up and down I gave him everything I have already. I know it's so-called protocol, but still, why did he slow down around those areas? And you described one of the officers as having a rapist mustache. Could you go into detail on your experience and what this says about the relationship between women and men in authoritative positions?
0: From my experience, not just also just being a woman, but being a Latina, Mm
5: -hmm.
0: dealing with cops has always been like, Something I don't want to face, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of them and all of that. And then, when it comes being a male cop, I just always, it's. I just guess it's weird because it's like, I get this feeling where every man is like a threat to me, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, (laughs) and I feel like I'm not the only one. Whereas, I, you know, a lot of women Mm -hmm. feel like that. Yeah. So I've always had this feeling like every time when I'm alone with like a a male person, like you know, male figure, I um, I get anxiety. Mm -hmm. I get like Mm -hmm. weirded out. I feel like they're gonna do something bad to me so in that when i was when i was um experiencing this i felt that same type of feeling where Mm -hmm. it's like he could take advantage of me if he wanted to you know and like i remember even like reading uh things online where it's like cops found found guilty later on time in life where they have like abused women you know it's just weird being a woman and then having someone in power just have every control for you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It
4: feels like you don't have any control over the situation.
0: Right, exactly. That's exactly how I felt. And I just want to emphasize rapist because to me, he, the mustache that he had, he really did look like... He like one of those old porn stars. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. oh,
5: my gosh. You <laughs>
0: like, um,
5: think someone would have told him that wasn't a good idea.
0: Right, he was like one of those old 80s porn stars, I swear. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, like uh. a hairy chest and all that. Right, yeah. Uh. And, like,
0: it was just weird, like, the way he just, like, slid his glove on.
4: And it uh. just, like...
2: <sighs> was it, like, almost sexual the way he put it on? It felt like that. Okay. Even though
4: probably in his perspective, it didn't look like
2: that right. for me. Yeah. But
4: he should think of, like, our perspectives as wism- women. It's, right. like, it's different yeah. for us always. It's always exactly. going to be different.
0: And, like, I don't know if it's different if um in Westchester, but from New York City, like, you know, mm-hmm. everyone has their own district. Mm. but from what I recall is that if they're gonna do a search it has to be a female cop you know yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. and like it has to be and then it should be it should be right and then when he was like you know I'm gonna search you I'm just like where's you know where's the female cop it was two male cops mm-hmm. and just like what yeah. what it felt so uncomfortable it's yeah, just like I can imagine. and I did feel like he did abuse his powers because why did he have to slow down you know? exactly again yeah. those areas I'm just like I'm, I know I'm not carrying any extra there, so, mm. you know, it was just really creepy.
4: So at the end of the piece, readers are definitely frustrated with Erazo, right? Yes, um, definitely. Like- <laughs> another male figure. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. just oh, another okay. male figure here uh-huh. that we see, like, take advantage of you. Um, Did we never really get his side of the story? Like, why did he let you take the fall? Or, like, what mm-hmm. was his reasoning? Did he ever give you that, like, after the story is over?
0: Yes, he did. Um, The day I got let, let out, I wanted to speak to him right away, mm-hmm. and he did come over. And even here, it was just like probably like very brief, but um, I guess in those moments, I still didn't want to hear what what he wanted to say. Right, it was so fresh. Right, so I let a time pass by, and then I feel like I just didn't just ignored it, ignored it, ignored it. And then one time when we finally like um, were mature enough to talk, mm-hmm. we sat down and we discussed about it, and. His fear was that the DUI he had before, right? right. Mm-hmm. So he felt that because he had he didn't have a clean record, that um, it was going to be worse on him on the judge. And I think from what I recall at that time, he was also um, arrested for not arrested, but like he was caught with weed like I think two times before that. Mm-hmm. So there were it was just a track record behind it. Mm-hmm. But I sat there and I told him, so you're basically telling me that because I had a clean record, I had to take a little L so you don't take a big L. Mm-hmm. An L is still an L at the end of the yeah, day. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I it's agree. like the time period was awful because it was election day the next day, so no one could pick me up. So I had Ugh. to spend an extra night compared to like if it would just been right. like a regular day. Right. So that's what his version was. But I still feel like it wasn't, he tried to justify it, but it wasn't justified anyway. anyway. Mm-hmm. No, it I was mean, selfish. No. Yeah. It was Cowardly.
2: Right. It was just so cowardly. Right. Because he
4: didn't think about what you were going through. Because, like, again, like, with these cops, you felt uncomfortable. Like, Mm -hmm. he wasn't thinking that. Mm -hmm. What were you going through? But you were thinking about, like, what was he going through? And I
0: don't think he had in mindset how severe the charge would have been, too, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't think he considered the fact that Election Day, you know, that was Mm going to stay there or um, the charge that it was a felony, you know. I don't think he considered that. I think in his mindset it was just, like, another weed charge, but it was not, you know. It was yeah, something yeah. more serious.
2: he <laughs> yeah, had all these other extra unmitigated consequences that he clearly didn't think about when right. he had the shrooms in the car and didn't tell you. Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. And it was it was frustrating. Like, I'm telling you, like, um, as you read, like, uh, when I went outside to the court and then... You know, I, it was already off when I saw my best friends. I was like, "Hmm, how does my mm-hmm. dad even know their phone number?" You know, like. Yeah, but yeah. I was just trying to, like, I guess, just think, like, no, like it's not that. And then when I finally saw him, it just all clicked, and mm-hmm. I was just like, "What?" Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't, know, I, ha- I honestly had no reaction in those moments. I was just like, blank. You know, mm-hmm. everything yeah. went blank.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, going into more of how you structured the piece and mm-hmm. the creative aspect of the writing aspect of the creative writing. Um, The way the piece is structured, in the beginning, we see all the loving sides of him. Him paying for the food, bringing the fruity pebbles, calling you beautiful. By the end, he shows a different side of himself. One that's pretty selfish. In reality, is this how you became aware of his darker side? Or were there moments that you became aware of prior to this event unfolding?
0: You know, this is what hurts me even the most is that we knew each other since fifteen, right? And I, I don't think I—I I think I didn't mention it. Yeah, you did. I did, right? You did. And uh, we started dating when I was twenty, so it's like that cliche, like "oh, best friends fall in love." Right. You know? yeah. And it was amazing throughout the whole time. Before this led up, like it was just—it could it just kept going. It just kept getting better and better and right. better. And um, I wonder if it was because of the whole friendship aspect, where it was mm. just like you know, like we we had that connection. So he never had any type of—I guess I was—you know, like this type of. Um, behavior at all mm-hmm. and when it happened it was just like it's just shock you know it, mm-hmm. I really felt like shocked that's why I want to emphasize in the beginning how good it was because right. it was yeah. like the, this was my first relationship I ever had I never had a boyfriend before this is the first time I figured mm-hmm. out what a boyfriend and girlfriend meant so to me it was just amazing I had to tell everybody like how good he was and then for this side I didn't even know so like if you guys are shocked I was in shock as well you know like I was in shock it's just like oh my god like I didn't even know he had this in him you know Right.
2: yeah Yeah, and I think that's as a as an audience member reader and a listener I feel like one of the most painful things of reading this story was the line where you say that you like you lost your best friend and it made me think of that like old saying when someone looks sad you look like you just lost your best friend and I think one of the most painful things about this story is that You didn't just lose a boyfriend. You didn't just lose your first love, which is tragic. But you lost your best friend Mm -hmm. since you were 15. And that just really, ugh, ugh right my heart i know it oh. hurts
0: it's just you know everyone's been in a situation where you lost a friend mm-hmm. and it hurts and i felt like the betrayal hurt more in the friendship aspect than boyfriend exactly because mm-hmm. it's like just, a different respect right exactly like you know when we started dating the only benefit was like all right like now we could do like more things that we didn't do this friend before mm-hmm. but the whole the best friend aspect i was just devastated like i was i just i don't know how to react like ah. even now i even thinking about it i feel like i put myself in a situation I'm just like, oh,
2: yeah, it hurt. <sighs> okay, and I guess that's a good segue into the next question. <laughs> so, despite suffering with suicidal thoughts when you were arrested, like for spending the night in jail, you're all alone, what's happened? You were still worried about Arazo. Like mm-hmm. at every different sections, like on the phone call with your mom, you're mm-hmm. worried about Arazo and you really thought about the consequences he'd have to mm-hmm. face at the expense of your own consequences. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that this paints an accurate picture of the struggles of young love being, like, almost naive? Or does it portray young people having to balance so much between relationship, school, and work that something always suffers in the end? Like, is it doomed? Almost like having it all isn't an option? That was such a philosophical
4: question. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was deep. Um, I'm sorry, guys. Um, Shakespeare was fun. that your question? I wrote the questions. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I kind of figured. I was like,
0: hmm, "That sounds so like..." <laughs> um, naive. Naive. Hmm. I wouldn't say we're naive, though. You know, I feel like we all go through things every day, but um, I don't know honestly because in those moments, I did have everything, you know, mm. and I feel like. When all of this happened, it made me realize, like, maybe there de- there is has to be a balance. So I feel like I'm back and forth with that, you know, like right. yes and no. But I think yes, I, f- I think now strongly, doom might side with, um, we are kind of doomed, and it sounds so bad, right? It's a lot of work for <laughs> us <laughs> yeah, to deal yeah. with, but yeah. it's it's the balance of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like the whole gang and the game, you know, like, yeah. um, you can't have everything. And mm-hmm. I had everything in those moments, and it's just like you know, life hits you.
2: Mm-hmm. You have no yeah. control mm-hmm. of life,
0: you know. We can't say what's going to happen tomorrow, so. Right, that too. can't
2: control people's actions.
0: Exactly. So for me, I guess now I'm starting to clarify more of the question. I would say, yeah, you know, everything probably is (laughs) though. Yeah, it's
2: just so hard because I I got a sense of the naiveness of yourself, your young self in this character. Like the way that at every every moment something bad happens to you. It's like you sink further and further and you are still so... Worried about him. Like, there's this one line where it's like, finally, I get to leave. I wonder if Aras was going to leave too. Probably not. They'll make him stay longer. And then I imagine him having to sleep over here for even more nights than I have. And the thought of it makes me feel like shit. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, he's the shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people felt like that. Uh, Majority Mm -hmm. of the people, um, even people who I've read to this story afterwards, Mm
5: -hmm.
0: they were just like, why? And I don't know what it is about me, but I just, I'm just so nice you like, can't help
1: oh it like i, I, mean, I can't. totally relate <laughs> i mean that's not necessarily the, the bad thing the bad yeah. thing is when like people take advantage right. of that right. exactly mm-hmm. yes. so it's like, yeah
5: it's like it's yeah. not your fault <laughs> right. yeah. it's that's the other people nice. who have mm-hmm. the problem exactly, exactly. and <laughs> you think i would have learned
3: that by now
0: <laughs> but you know there's some there's the harsh reality that i have kept accepting it's just like no matter how nice you are like it doesn't mean like someone's going to give you the same treatment you know exactly. mm-hmm. yeah. and that's like yeah. that's how it yep. is you know i can't be oblivious to that so it's just like bad things keep happening and this was a really bad thing and mm-hmm. I'm just like it didn't change me like I feel I feel so nice mm-hmm. but I am more and aware now but I am more now. aware yeah. that's the difference like I, if, I'm yeah. not next time I'm just like no there won't even be a next time no.
3: i like <laughs> yeah <laughs> see that is the thing like you would think that he would think about like like you mentioned like everything that you wanted and you were working for that he wouldn't let you take the fall for right. that but mm-hmm. you know not everyone has the same heart as you you know you're yeah. nice yeah. doesn't mean he's gonna be nice like mm-hmm. that's just for real. That's a hard lesson to learn. Right. And, I
2: guess, Yeah. And
0: how she mentioned, like, he didn't think about that. In my personal aspect, they always say that men don't age until they're 50, right? Like, they're like,
5: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> I think he's just, like, not now, because I feel like he, he has changed a little bit, not a lot. But I feel like he, he was just, like, an Im- immature aspect. You know? mm-hmm. even,
5: even that 50 age limit is questionable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is. <laughs> That's a mood. <laughs> you know, they never mature. They know they just don't see it as we do. You know, they yeah. don't see. I feel like we always look at it very logically. Mm-hmm, always. Yeah. and they have a hard time.
5: I think putting put all. I think together. they also have issues with their emotions, but that just might be more my personal. Experience. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I am with you.
4: Oh, we don't have the male
5: person. Uh, oh, it's okay.
4: Person. <laughs> right.
5: So, uh,
1: to the men wh- listening to the podcast, we're sorry.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
5: not sorry. Um Take notes. <laughs> Alright. So just to um maybe drop out a conclusion here, mm. so what would you like your listeners to just take away from the story? <sighs> take away from the story. Oh my god. These patches are so deep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no,
0: it's good. It makes you really think. <sighs> take away from it. Um I guess what I've learned from this is that don't let anything that seems just like is the end of the world to like ruin your aspect for like the re- like the, the rest of your life. You know, it's temporary. Mm. The pain is temporary. The suffering is temporary. You know, it, even though I, even those moments when I had to do the whole drug program, like I felt like I can't do this anymore. I felt like I was going to break, but you're breathing, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're breathing, yeah. you're breathing. It's just like, that's what I learned from that. It's like, don't, don't let it don't don't take it personal, I guess. To yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you remind yourself like this doesn't define you. Exactly. And if, and and I am a true believer of like everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And before this even happen, happened, I had no story for this class for our final workshop. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing. Oh my
5: god. I feel mood. I had
0: nothing. I just like I felt like I would get in touch with my creative aspect, but it was just so hard. Mm-hmm. And then that I, with this incident, this create this came out, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't even be here on the podcast if none of this happened. Oh, so
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would have been on yeah. something else. Like maybe, maybe something something, like right. something else. I'm I mean, not saying doing. anything bad, but you know what I mean. <laughs> just cause your writing's really yeah. good.
0: Like this ju- this just like something beautiful came out of it from yeah. in my mm-hmm. personal opinion. Mm-hmm. It came out beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um that's mm-hmm. just why I tell you, like, don't don't let any bad thing affect Uh, the overall Mm -hmm. it is temporary Mm -hmm. you will Mm -hmm. go you will go through it you know you will go through it with your support and then just keep reminding yourself
5: it's
4: just like everything's gonna
5: be okay
0: you know -hmm. i think that's
5: something everyone needs to hear yeah Yeah, for sure
4: right we be wanting to give up like oh i can't do this right i don't want to go to class
1: (laughs) right well well with that we thank you so much for the story and for your amazing interview that you had with us
0: thank you i appreciate it
3: That concludes our third episode of the fourth season, Blindsided. Thank you for joining us. (sighs) Even though we don't have Karen, our true queen. Excuse me for getting choked up. I just, I miss her so much.
5: We are all so excited to bring you new stories in the coming months, amplifying these younger voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear about.
1: You could always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get some behind the scenes action.
4: We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, our episode writers, and our website developers. Everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud.
3: And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon and good, good night! night.